Welcome one and all back to another day here at the Damage Report. I am John Arola and very lucky to be joined once again on the show by the host of Modern Context. Yasmin Leakan, how's it going? Going very well, happy to be back. Glad to have you here. What most people won't know because they weren't listening right before the show started is I mentioned that I was having some mild tooth pain. And Yaz immediately speculated that there was something in my mouth that might migrate to my brain. I said ion or something. It's gonna eat your brain, is what I said. I yeah. don't. I don't think it's gonna go that far. But I, you, I should gotta, go to a dentist. You gotta go to the dentist before it proceeds to that point. So mm-hmm. all the best to you and your teeth, John. I'll see if I can like jointly book a room for a dentist and a neurologist just in case. Just to make anyway, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's on brand that we're worried about. People don't about talk enough about the tooth brain connection. You know. Exactly. That's why people watch this show because these are the things that Mm -hmm. we talk about. For that very specific conspiracy theory, uh, maybe it'll draw right wing viewers to our show. Uh, Tis a season. Anyway, um, while I'm worried about the future of my brain, there are a lot of people out there who should be very worried about their legal futures. It's sort of the theme of today's show is horrible news for right wingers when it comes to their legal travails. And we will be jumping through uh, multiple of those. We've got more on Nikki Haley, who's having a little bit of a moment. Uh, Greg Abbott wants to have his own moment, a moment that might involve a showdown with the federal government over the border. So that'll be fun. And um, in the aftermath, definitely stick around for that because we're going to be having a damage report court. It will be in session and we will be considering the future of Chick-fil-A and you're not going to want to miss that. Anyway, with all that said, please hit the like button, share the stream, send us your comments. You might win yourself a $100 Blue Apron gift card. And with all that said, yeah, are you ready to do this thing? I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. I am as well. And thus, let's do it. You were hired by Team Trump to investigate voter fraud. And you were focused, I know, on the six key swing states, one of which, of course, we were just talking about, Arizona. So what was the bottom line from everything you looked at, Ken? Did you find the widespread fraud they wanted you to find? No. Uh, In my job looking for voter fraud for the campaign, we didn't find any, we didn't find enough fraud to have impacted the result of any election uh, in any of the swing states that we took a look at. Okay, so that is a very important top line response from Ken Block, who had been hired by Trump and his circle to find some sort of basis for their argument that the 2020 election was stolen. Uh, this is not, by the way, purely of historic interest, they're of course still trying to prove that the election was stolen. And it is very much tied in with their continued trial, what's coming up in the next few weeks actually. On January 6th, they're going to argue that the things that they did were justified because there was such compelling evidence of fraud. Well, Ken Block says he looked into it, he was paid to look into it, and he didn't find it. He has more on how comprehensive the search was, take a look at that. But much more importantly, the campaign asked me to look at claims of fraud that other people were making. And these claims were coming in fast and furious in the 30 days after the election. My team looked at approximately 15 or so claims, every one of which we were able to prove was false. So look, that's very straightforward. He's making very clear claims that they did not find not only the things that Trump and his team asked him to look for, but the random conspiracy theories about Italy and satellites and Hugo Chavez and God knows what ghosts from the past. They didn't find anything like that. 
Now, uh, Ken Block is almost certainly going to be uh, nuked from orbit by the right wing for daring to admit that he didn't find fraud and understand that in addition to doing media hits like he did uh, right there um, uh, on MSNBC or I'm sorry, CNN. Uh, he also has a book coming out in the next few months. So look, if you wanted to say that he's doing this to personally benefit himself, you could potentially do that. But understand he is relevant, uh, not just because of his career. He's been subpoenaed by special counsel Jack Smith and uh, Fulton County District Attorney uh, Fannie Willis. So he could be a figure over the next few months that could be really important in what happens with Donald Trump. So uh, we're gonna get to a little bit more of that. But yes, yeah, I wanted your opinion uh, about what you just saw. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because they always say that if you really want to look for if you really want to find something, if you look hard enough, you'll find something to kind of validate what your existing belief is. But we've seen over the past several years, ever since the insurrection on January 6th, and even before that, you know, all the times when the Republicans were going on about voter fraud and things like that, we've seen them deliberately look for evidence for instances of voter fraud happening across this country. And every time they've turned up with nothing, even we're seeing it now with the Biden impeachment. They they had special committees to look for wrongdoing by Joe Biden and they didn't find anything. And now they're just trying to like make a bigger case about like his crime family or something like that. So it's all very interesting. It's all very puzzling, but it's also an like a very big waste of money and resources and time for these people that we put in positions of lawmaking, right? They're supposed to be making laws, they're supposed to be actually doing things to benefit their constituents and the American people. And they're not doing any of that because they're doing all this other stuff on the side. Yeah, yeah, look, 100% and it's, it's, it's insane when you think back and as you said, you know, usually you expect that if you put enough resources, enough time into something, you can find something. Yeah. Which, yes, makes the Biden thing laughable now that they haven't been able to find anything on Joe Biden. I'm sure that he's broken the law. How can you guys not find it? But then when he, when it comes to this, I know, uh, the fact that they lost dozens and dozens of lawsuits, I'm sure right wingers will, they'll just say, well, it's just Obama judges, but they, they had trials all over the place. Do you have any idea how many Republican appointed judges are in America? How many Trump appointed judges are in America? And you couldn't find one right winger to just lie and say that you've got a case. They had nothing and years later. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Later, despite all of Dinesh D'Souza's documentary work, they still have not been able to prove to literally anyone uh, that this thing was stolen. And so this guy is going to be important. I mean, I think less so for his opinion, but more so perhaps that I'm sure he'll be able to testify that after being dispatched to find this fraud, he returned his report saying we've got nothing. So it's just, it's even more information as to what Trump and his team knew and when they knew it about how bogus their charges were. Um, but I also, I want your opinion, Yes, I saw, I was trying to find out anything else that's going to happen when it comes to uh, this case. And I saw a headline, cuz like this is bad news. If you're Trump, you, you don't want Ken Block out there making you, your whole team and your case look bad. I saw, I think it was Newsweek, had um, Donald Trump throws Hail Mary pass in January 6th case. And I thought, oh my God, 
This, this is something big. It's just he wants the gag order removed. Why? Why do they have to lie in the headlines? Like he is just constantly trying to free himself up so that he can attack. In this case, Jack Smith, and he really does seem to think that that is a crucial part of his defense, his ability to truth social post about Jack Smith. I don't know how that could save him, but he really does seem to think it's an important part of this. Yes. Yeah, I don't think it's meant to save him at all, actually. I think it's meant to get him more voters and a more loyal voting base, right? I think that the more he attacks Jack Smith, the more that he pretends to be a victim in all of these legal proceedings, the more that he just pretends to be someone who, you know, like they don't want to be president anymore, uh, the more appealing he is to the most loyal of the Trump supporters. And we know that we know who, who we're dealing with here. So I think right now he kind of knows that whether or not he's indicted for things, he's still going to make it onto the ballot. He thinks that he still has a shot at winning some votes, maybe even winning an election. And so mm -hmm. I think he's just like campaigning at this point. I don't think he's trying to win his legal cases. I think he's campaigning and maybe him losing these legal cases might prove to be better for him in the long run as far as you know winning votes. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's obviously very twisted incentives when it comes to the right. And he basically, I mean, his real legal defense in all of this is become president and snap your fingers and it goes away. Yeah, because he really uh, doesn't have much of a defense in any of these cases. And he knows 100%. that he has to know it. Yeah. Yeah, he just needs to be the candidate, basically. That's his defense. So I, I largely agree with you. Why does he need it so bad, though? You know, he's, he's getting a little desperate, I think. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like we look at, you know, his history and we look at the inability of literally anyone to make anything stick to him consequences wise. But I guess he is small and he's fearful and he's ignorant. And so maybe that generates more fear than is justified based on history. I'm just speculating, John. I don't know, but we'll, we'll okay. see. Well, <laughs> let's let's speculate about another topic because this is honestly maybe my favorite story of the day. Although I doubt many in the audience will agree with me. Uh, Donald Trump has lost. Donald Trump has lost his latest bid to make the fraud trial against him in New York just evaporate. And you need to understand that they have been trying over and over to get the judge to just just dismiss this thing, to not win on the merits on the case, but to just make it go away. And Judge Arthur Engeron once again is not going to make that happen. But we have to talk about his ruling because this is fascinating stuff. And it doesn't just it doesn't just generate a little bit of like good time feelings that the the judge is mocking Trump at his arguments, but if you are trying to look ahead to how this thing is going to go, the full fraud trial when it's finalized, I think there's a lot here that really hints at what direction this thing is going to take and what the frame of mind of the judge is. So I want to jump into some of this. Uh, he starts off talking about uh, Eli Bartov, who's this expert witness that Trump and his team have brought in. And they they really thought this guy was going to be a big part of their defense. They allegedly paid him about $900,000 to serve as a witness. And uh, the judge was not impressed. Uh, he says in his ruling, the most glaring flaw is to assume that the testimony of defendants experts, notably Eli Bartov, he mentions, is true and accurate. Or at least that the court as the trier of fact will accept it as true and accurate. Bartov is a tenured professor, 
But all that his testimony proves is that for a million or so dollars, some experts will say whatever you want them to say. That is devastating. His overarching point was that the subject statements of financial condition basically claims that the Trump team had made about the value of things were accurate in every respect. But that's not, there's, you can't make that case. And the judge is clear that it's been proven that they weren't. So he says, by doggedly attempting to justify every misstatement, Professor Bartov lost all credibility. That is like, all the judge's ruling needs to do is say that I am not simply going to end this trial right now. He didn't have to go after the witness to that extent, but he very much is not buying it. Take a look at this. He goes on to say in another area where Trump had tried to justify ending the case. Defendants persist in arguing that if a loan closes prior to the period during which the statute of limitations allows suit, then any required follow-up SFCs made during that period is somehow sacrosanct. That contention is belied, blah, 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 basically saying that that's not actually how the law works. But he says then, closing is not a get out of jail free card for future misstatements. He's having fun with it. The judge is enjoying writing this up. He's enjoying slapping down Donald Trump. He goes on to talk about Trump's argument, which he has made many times. And in fact, as you'll see, he continues to make to this day on True Social is it doesn't matter if I lied, the banks like me and they like the loans that they gave to me. And this is what the judge had to say about that. If you pay a lower interest rate on a loan by overstating the value of any of your assets, thus lowering the perceived risk to the lender, your gains are ill gotten. The lender has lost money, although the loss is not out of pocket. And so the loss is not what the law traditionally thinks of as damages. That the instant lenders made millions of dollars and were happy with the transactions does not mean that they were not damaged by lending at lower interest rates than they otherwise would have. So he largely shreds that argument. I'm gonna get into in a moment what I think really previews where this thing is going over the next month or so. But Yaz, what do you think about what you're seeing? Yeah, this is a lot of fun for me, actually. Uh, Eli Bartov, as you mentioned, he's a, an accounting professor, I believe. And he was paid, I read a headline one week that said he was paid nearly half a million dollars. And then the next week, it was nearly a million dollars. So the Trumps are paying this guy nearly a million dollars to come and testify on their behalf as an expert witness. And what that means is that he is an expert in a field and he's supposed to testify based on, you know, within a very specific scope of his expertise, right? And a few times throughout the course of his testimony on trial, uh, he's you know stepped outside of that of you know the the scope of where he was supposed to be testifying, and the judge has called him out on it, and he was a little bit combative about it. But what's interesting about all of this is that Bartov actually served as an expert witness for the state of New York previously, right? And now he's testifying against them as Trump's witness. And mm-hmm. in the case that he testified. On the on behalf of the state of New York, they lost that case, and they actually wrote the the judge, the justice in that trial wrote the court rejects Dr. Bartov's expert testimony as unpersuasive and finds Dr. Bartov's mm-hmm. testimony to be flatly contradicted by the weight of the evidence. So uh, that's where he was starting from, and then that was the same guy that Trump chose to now, you know, pay nearly a million dollars to be his expert witness. So he already doesn't have a great reputation to begin That's, with. I'm so glad that you added that. Now, some people might see that and think, "Oh, this is Donald Trump just once again not doing the work to vet the people he hires." But no, maybe his team did, and that's why they chose him. He's mm-hmm. a guy who's willing to say as Judge Engron says, he'll say anything as long as you pay him. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, uh everybody's got to grind, everybody's got to hustle. He's got to make <laughs> his money one way or another. 
Okay, so let's get into like really what can we divine the way that the judge thinks about this entire thing, not just the effort to get rid of the case right now, but overall the case. Here's a few excerpts that I think are amazing. He says, defendants also trot out two of their standard canards. The valuations are subjective and the law only penalizes material deviations. These both fall into the category of let no one be fooled. You do not refer to the arguments that lawyers are making as standard canards if you have two ounces of respect for the defendant or his team to rub together. He's done with them. But he goes on to say, and I think, okay, this, this gets a bit technical, so I apologize. But I think it's very interesting when he evaluates their, their main argument, which is how they decided how to value different assets of Trump and his organization. So he says, Valuations can be based on different criteria analyzed in different ways, but a lie is still a lie. He's literally calling them liars on their main argument. Valuing occupied residences as if vacant, valuing restricted lands as if unrestricted, valuing an apartment as if it were triple its actual size, valuing property many times the amount of concealed appraisals, valuing planned buildings as if completed and ready to rent, valuing golf courses with brand premium while claiming not to, and valuing valuing restricted funds as cash are not subjective differences of opinion. They are misstatements at best and fraud at worst. I am not saying that there's nothing that gets us from that to Trump still getting away with this. But that feels like the judge's final ruling. He has seen their arguments and their BS of a variety of different flavors. But he is being very clear there that there is nothing to it. And and one maybe final defense that Trump and his team have tried to rely on is that uh, they lied a whole bunch in their their uh, their statements or whatever, but there was a disclaimer that said you couldn't necessarily trust it and Trump wouldn't be responsible for it. It's supposed to be another one of those get out of jail free cards. Well, here's what the judge has to say about that. Defendants attempt to fall back on alleged disclaimers in the SFCs. As analyzed in the September decision, the words at issue were simply Mazars. That's the accounting firm practice of ensuring the issuer was responsible for the accuracy of the statements. They are not disclaimers at all. They are not defendant statements and they certainly do not shield defendants from liability. If anything, they expose defendants to liability. The judge seems like he just wants to do the final ruling. He just wants to get this thing done. He wants to slap Trump down. And honestly, the only person in America who wants it more is me. I am ready to finally see him hit with like a $500 million penalty. I don't know for sure that it'll happen. But Yaz, what do you make of this? Yeah, this is all very interesting. And because the crux of Trump's argument in the first place is that, you know, they didn't trick the banks into lending them money because, you know, they can provide whatever financial statements they want. The Trump organization can provide those. But then the banks, it's up to them to do their own due diligence, right? It's not Trump's fault if they didn't do that. It's not Trump's fault if they still decided to give him loans based on these reports that they handed over from the, um, from the financial department. But Eli Bartov, he also tried to say 
to the judge, quote, you cannot rely on the numbers as reported in the financial statement. And the judge is saying, no, like that these are the things that you're submitting and you're submitting them fraudulently. And the the plaintiff side of the argument is that it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter whether or not the statements actually succeeded in tricking or misleading these banks. It doesn't matter whether, whether or not the banks did their own due diligence. All that matters is that you provided fraudulent statements to the banks in the first place mm-hmm. for whatever reason. That's the crime. Hundred yeah. oh, percent. I can't wait. It's it's honestly it's not that far away. I just I wish we could fast forward. Uh, closing arguments are set for January eleventh, twenty twenty four. That's a, a long way away. away. No, it's yeah, it's gonna be awesome. feels like a long okay. time. But look. Yes, we have to be fair. We've told you what the judge said. Now we have to briefly get into what Donald Trump has said about this. Okay. Donald Trump is being hit by this just scathing ruling by Judge Arthur Angeron that just Thanos's all of his legal arguments and defenses. And it really looks like Trump might be screwed in this fraud trial. So Trump took to Truth Social to do two things that I think we'll all agree are wise choices in this situation. He is going to attack the judge that is about to rule on him in his future and repeat all of the arguments the judge has already rejected. He said, and I'm not gonna read all of this. Remember, the corrupt and radical Judge Angran is a political hack. That'll that'll win you some points with the judge there, buddy. Who blah, 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 uncon- unconstitutionally gagged me and my lawyers in a brazen and blatant attempt to prevent us from bringing vital information to the public in the courts. In this, what are you gonna tell the public that matters for this fraud trial? Like, I understand that if we jump ahead to the next one, he's gonna say that once again that Mar-a-Lago is worth fifty to a hundred times what they said. Let's say, well, you're saying that you're clearly not gagged. I'm sure many people on Truth Social accept that that is the case, even though it's insane. Does that help you in your trial? What does it matter at this point? Honestly. He is stressing so much his ability to do this, which seems self-destructive, maybe suicidal legally, considering how bad the case is already going for him. That I'm left wondering, is he hoping that he is attacking the judge in such an insane fashion that he can then claim perhaps that he deserves a mistrial? Because the judge has got to be biased against him because he's calling him all these names constantly. I don't know. He once again says that the attorney general is biased. Everyone's racist, obviously. Certainly every black person, obviously racist. The banks were paid in full, loved and respected the relationship and stated loudly under oath and for all to hear that they were extremely happy with Donald J. Trump. Are you out of your effing mind? The judge, the judge already said that it is irrelevant if the banks made a little bit of money off the loans, despite your fraud, it's still fraud. It's not like a win-win makes crime go away. And it just makes him seem so petty, so small, so childish, and potentially so unprepared for where this thing is gonna go in just a couple weeks. But Yaz, what do you make of his response? Yeah, what did he say? Mar-a-Lago is worth 50 or 100 times. Like these numbers are insane. You know, like how is something possibly worth 50 or 100 times more? If any one of his supporters see a claim like that and think that this man speaks in anything besides just lies and hyperbole, then they like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell those people, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Nothing that he says can be taken at face value. And you know, just a reminder to everyone that this is not a trial by jury. He only has to appeal to the judge itself. So him attacking this judge is like especially nonsensical and comical for for everybody. Uh, we'll see what happens. The judge seems to have made up his mind a long time ago. And maybe that could, you know, there could be an argument there for bias, or maybe it's just an argument that, you know, the evidence is what the evidence is, and that's it. It doesn't matter what Trump calls him on on Twitter or X or whatever or in Truth Social. It is what it is. I I hope you are right. I hope uh, so too. And I will finally say, if Mar-a-Lago was worth a hundred times what it was valued at, which by the way is a nearly two billion dollars, according to him. Then pony up the taxes on that, buddy. What is the property taxes on your the most valuable property in the history of the world? In the world, yeah. Insane. Okay. Um, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a short break. Uh, but when we come back, um, I am enjoying right wingers tripping over themselves, attempting to apologize for Donald Trump's uh, Hitler-esque arguments about the blood of the nation. We're gonna have a particularly inept example of that after this. Okay, with that as alluded to, let's jump into the defense of Donald Trump starting with this. Is Trump right that immigrants are poisoning the blood of this country? Well, I don't think that's what he was saying when he said they are poisoning. I think he was talking about the democratic policies. I think he was talking about the open border policy. Congresswoman, you're saying that's what you think he's saying, but he was pretty clear. He was saying that the immigrants who are coming in, he says they're they're poisoning yes. the blood of the nation. He says never said that they're doing are poisoning, it. Though. Okay, so that is Representative Maliotakis, Republican, who wants to defend Donald Trump and say- This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. No, 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 pump the brakes, you guys. He wasn't quoting Hitler or anything. He wasn't saying that the immigrants are poisoning the blood of America. He's saying the Democrats are poisoning the blood of America by opening up the border and allowing immigrants in. How is that a defense of Donald Trump? That's saying the same thing. The end result of your BS transparent argument is still that immigrants coming into America poisons the blood of the nation. And even if he meant the Democrats, which he didn't, and we're gonna prove that, it's still quoting Hitler and the Nazis. So look, it is tough to defend Donald Trump on something that is indefensible. So I have some empathy for her there. Um, but she's also going to prove to be a, a bad messenger in this attempt. Take a look at this. He didn't say the words the immigrants. I think he was talking about the democratic policies. He was talking about people, okay. Well, look, I don't. He was talking about people. Look, I know that some are trying to make it seem like President Trump is is anti-immigrant. The reality is, he was married to immigrants. He's hired immigrants. I mean, he's not. It's it's. it's he was he talking wants, about people yeah. coming across the border. He was yeah, they're coming that over the border. They, he was saying that they were. Uh, that they were, uh, they were bringing crime. They were bringing, you know, violence with them but when they came true. into. The country. 
Okay, he's obviously been anti-immigrant for literally years. Republicans love that about him, about him. Stop pretending that he's not the thing that you worship him for. But let's also stop for one second on, he can't be anti-immigrant. He's hired immigrants and he's married an immigrant. Yeah, and a lot of racist whites in the South search for ebony porn, according to Pornhub analytics. That doesn't mean they're not racist. You can want to use a group and still not respect it, okay? But the much more important point is that her argument is just BS. He wasn't talking about the immigrants. We have the literal quotes. We know they're terrorists. Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It's a very sad thing for our country. It's poisoning the blood of our country. It's so bad and people are coming in with disease. People are coming in with every possible thing that you could have. That's the argument. They're dirty, they're criminals, they're diseased, they're poisoning us. I apologize if you don't like that, and I suspect that you do, Representative, but that's what he said. And he liked it so much that he he messaged it on Truth Social saying, illegal, illegal immigration is poisoning the blood of our nation. Not democratic border policies, the immigration is. They're coming from prisons, from mental institutions from all over the world. Without borders and fair elections, you don't have a country. Make America great again. Poison the blood of our nation, they're coming. The immigrants, not Democratic representatives. It could not be clearer. And you already know that representative. Every Republican who is cheering when he said that loves the fact that he's mining Mein Kampf for notes to sprinkle into his speech. You love that stuff. Yaz, what do you make of this? You didn't get a chance, obviously, yesterday on the show to refer to respond to his original comments. So feel free to talk about that as well. Yeah, I mean, you said you have empathy for these people who have to go on national television and defend people like Trump. And I just, I don't have empathy for them anymore. Perhaps once upon a time I did, but not anymore. You know, these people who do these types of things, they chose that life. They chose to work for somebody and defend somebody who says just really horrendous Nazi like things publicly. And, you know, all this talk about, well, what he was really saying or what he really meant was, it's ridiculous. You know, he's supposed to be a leader. You know, a leader shouldn't require so many translators just to get a message across. If he wanted to say what these people are saying that he wanted to say, he would have just said it. You know, like mm-hmm. there there shouldn't be all this need for filtration of his words and analysis of like a very basic statement. He said what he said, take it as it is, because that's how he meant it to be taken. Hundred percent, and and we know exactly this was not a coincidence. Trump doesn't use poetic metaphors. <laughs> He's not a poet. He was very specifically talking. Well, like I'll read you the quote. Adolf Hitler, all great cultures of the past perished only because the originally creative race died out from blood poisoning. We know that he had a book of Hitler speeches that he would read. He was a big fan of it. That's what it's referencing. It's not a coincidence. He doesn't talk like this. He can barely get through a normal sentence. They very specifically were going for this. And and by the way, like this is the thing that's in the news. So we're gonna focus on this, but I'll remind you. He's the guy who's building the border wall. He's the guy who was literally talking about having a moat on the other side that was stocked with crocodiles. He was the guy who said we should paint it black so it'll be hot, so it'll burn people. He was the guy saying we should put spikes at the top and the guy telling border patrol to shoot people as they cross the border. 
And I also want to make sure that while we're rightly criticizing Donald Trump, we don't give Ron DeSantis a pass as if because he has avoided quoting Mussolini and Hitler, he's not as bad. Ron DeSantis is still going around in CNN town halls saying that we should be shooting on site migrants crossing the border. So Donald Trump is the most explicitly Nazi in this area, but Ron DeSantis is just as committed to mass murder in pursuit of his ideological goals. Any final thoughts, yes? Yeah, just like the the lack of education surrounding these issues is kind of disappointing, I'll say. Maybe not surprising, but it's still disappointing. The fact that, you know, Nazi propaganda from nearly 100 years ago can just be repurposed in today's modern era after we have all kinds of, you know, supposedly we have all the wisdom of the last 100 years having witnessed what happened during the first two world wars and it's really disappointing that people aren't smarter enough and that people can't see through a lot of the things that are happening and the things that are being said. And I think it also makes a lot of sense that Donald Trump doesn't have a lot of great ideas on his own. So he just plagiarizes from other people, including yeah. from historical figures. And I think he also safely knows that his audience or his base, I should say, wouldn't necessarily say, oh, I know where that's from. And that's yeah. mean, but. It's well, working for him, you know? Look, I don't expect them to have read the speeches of Hitler. Maybe it would be better if they hadn't. But I will say, it, we would be in a bad spot as a nation if the issue here was that tens of millions of Americans just don't understand the Nazi basis of his immigration policy. Mm -hmm. We are in reality in a far worse position, which is they don't care if they like it. They don't care if a mountain of corpses builds up at the border. There are a lot of people who are ready for a lot more than the occasional Hitler quote. And we should all be worried about that. And I'll add Joe Biden into that list. He should be more worried than he clearly is. Okay, with that said, um, I wanna jump into our little uh, discussion roundup of the Republican primary. Let's jump into that. I'm not, I'm not a candidate. You want me to work that for you? <laughs> <laughs> this is my kids would say, that's my jam. I'll just say it, Biden's too old and Congress is the most exclusive nursing home in America. Washington keeps failing because politicians from yesterday can't lead us into tomorrow. We need term limits, mental competency tests, and a real plan to defeat China and restore our economy. We have to leave behind the chaos and drama of the past with a new generation and a new conservative president. So that is Nikki Haley, who is having a bit of a moment. This might be her opening to break through. And she's attempting to do so with a strategy that I think you probably understand from what you saw there. You see in that video, she's attacking Joe Biden with arguments that just happened to also apply to Donald Trump. So she's sort of having her political cake and eating it too. She is criticizing Donald Trump, but she's not actually saying it. She's not saying his name, so she can't get attacked as being like, you know, not unifying the party or whatever. But anybody who likes her argument kind of has to apply it to Donald Trump as much as Biden. So it's her attempt to kind of thread this needle or walk a tightrope here, Yaz. What do you think about it? Um, it's interesting. I think that a lot of Republican voters probably do have a lot of dissonance, though, regarding the way that they see Joe Biden and whether they see Trump the same way. I think a lot of us see it. I don't know if Trump supporters 
would necessarily. Maybe Nikki Haley supporters specifically, maybe those types of Republicans. But if she's looking to attract Trump voters, uh, I don't know if they would make that correlation necessarily. And I like the way she said, you know, let's just say it. Joe Biden's old. It's like, why'd you have to say it like that? Like she was the first one to ever say it. We say it all the time about Joe Biden. Democrats (laughs) say it all the time. We know. Like it wasn't that that groundbreaking of a statement. Uh, I like your theory though, that, you know, maybe that was her way of segueing into something, you know, positioning herself as an obviously younger and more mentally astute candidate. And uh, it's really sad that that is, you know, the distinguishing factor between presidential candidates these days. But here we are. Yeah, I, I wonder about it as a strategy. Um, she's been a little bit more aggressive about Trump in the debates, but <laughs> largely she hasn't really wanted to hit him. And other than Chris Christie, that's been true basically all of them, and none of them have been able to break through. Those might be connected. So we'll have to see if it's successful, especially when you consider that there is a very uneven uneven battleground that we're, we're this primary is being waged on because she doesn't want to really explicitly attack Donald Trump, but him and his supporters are perfectly happy to attack her. And with that, why don't we jump into his response? Donald Trump has seen the polls, even if he refuses to post about them on Truth Social, Nikki Haley is catching up to him in New Hampshire. So perhaps to ward her off, his super PAC, which he would never closely coordinate with, just happened to air ads in New Hampshire right after that. Let's take a look. Nikki Haley promised. I will not, not now, not ever support raising the gas tax. Really? Not now, not ever? Just 24 months later, high tax Haley flipped. Let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents. That's right, high tax Haley broke her promise. Let's increase the gas tax. Repeatedly backing higher taxes hurts families. New Hampshire can't afford Nikki high tax Haley. Okay, so look, I like ads that actually reference specific things that have to do with policy. That's novel in today's political environment. Um, but the fact that Trump, you know, affiliated super PACs are now going hard against Nikki Haley, I don't think it's a surprise. They see her now, I think, as the biggest challenge to them. Maybe not nationally, maybe not in Iowa or, you know, Nevada, but clearly New Hampshire. Yes. Uh, what do you think about that ad? Do you think it could be effective? Probably, I mean, because he's talking about a gas tax in in that ad, right? And all these things are based in truth, they're based in facts somewhere. And a lot of times that's enough to get people to really say, oh, maybe I don't want this person here. High tax Haley, that's a really catchy nickname for her. But I mean, all it takes is a little bit of digging, you know, to see why something like this could be good or bad and then decide how you feel about it. I really wish that, you know, people would pay more attention to the things that they vote for. But as we see, people vote based on tweets all the time and they they vote based on ads and just memes that they see. So they're really not ever getting a full picture of something. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of work, like personal effort to get that full picture. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's not a lot of time really in New Hampshire specifically to get that. The, you yeah. know, it's coming up very soon. Um, but Nikki Haley did respond to that ad saying two days ago, Donald Trump denied our surge in New Hampshire existed. Now he's running a negative ad against me. Someone's getting nervous, hashtag bring it. I like that, I don't know if that's, honest like bravado or if it's false bravado. But I just want to see more Republicans standing up to Donald Trump, even if only for their own political gains. So yes, Nikki, you too bring it against Donald Trump. And with that said, Donald Trump is trying to destroy Nikki's chance of becoming president. He's getting an assist from Tucker Carlson 
in attempting to destroy her chance of becoming vice president. Take a look at this. Would you vote for Trump if he chose Nikki as VP? And would you guys vote no? for Trump? Well, I mean, that's the question that I asked you specifically. Well, I, 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 I would not only not vote for that ticket, I would, I would advocate against it as strongly as I could. Wow, wow. Yeah. Well, well, that, that's, I, just, I, that's just poison. I mean, here's someone who's actively opposed to the interests of the country I grew up in, who endorsed the BLM riots, and who is not only is, is not left, but is neoliberal in the darkest, most, speaking of nihilist, nihilistic way, and has no real popular support, is a, is a creature of the oligarchs. So yeah, that would, be, that would be reason to oppose the ticket. Even Trump, Haley is a no-go. Nikki Haley. He would get assassinated immediately if that were the case. Yeah, Again, instantly they have to go to, obviously the deep state's gonna kill Trump if X happens. Why haven't they done it then? He could become president again, right? He literally served for, as president for four years. If the deep state could just kill him, why haven't they done that? They never answer that question. But anyway, I have two thoughts about what Tucker said there that I think I think is fascinating. But yeah, I want to give you first chance. What did you think about Tucker Carlson's argument against Nikki Haley? As well, he used so many big words and he just smushed them all together to like maybe have made a coherent thought. I'm really not sure. I mean, he talked about nihilism, just threw out nihilism. You know, he just threw out the deep state. He just keeps throwing out terms that sound really scary. Like Nikki Haley sounds like a Bond villain by the time he's done <laughs> speaking about her. You know, it's really, it's kind of ridiculous how scary he's trying to make her seem when really she's just a political candidate who is anti Donald Trump. He threw out neoliberalism, like some other stuff. And it's too much. Yeah. And I think the average viewer wouldn't be able to like string all those ideas together in a way that is meaningful. And he doesn't really do a whole lot to explain any of the terms that he's using. And I think that confundity that he's trying to 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 get out of his people, that's gonna benefit them in the long run. Well, look, look I, I don't think that's an accident. I think that Tucker right. Carlson very clearly, his text messages following January 6th made clear he has literally no respect for his audience. He was mm -hmm. super clear that he he lies to them because he knows they'd turn against him if he didn't. He hates Donald Trump, but he still to this day pretends that he doesn't. It was yeah. super clear behind closed doors what he thought. It's super weird, by the way, that that doesn't turn off more of his audience that he hates them, but whatever. He's not confusing them accidentally, he's confusing them on purpose. Because were they to understand what he actually supports, they would not support it. His argument there is to his to his viewers, don't support Nikki Haley as VP because she's a creature of the oligarchs. Instead, support Donald Trump, a literal oligarch. Does does that not strike the viewers as odd that she does the work of billionaires? He's a billionaire. She does the work of trying to deregulate and lower taxes. He literally did it as president. It doesn't make any sense. And then he attempts to seem like he's being reasonable saying, you know, she's not left, but oh, very, very bold stance there. Nikki Haley, a literal neoconservative, isn't a communist or anything. These words mean nothing, okay, to them. By design, I'm not saying that Tucker Carlson is so stupid that he doesn't understand that in theory these words have meaning. He just wants the words not to have any meaning so he can use them to bludgeon his viewers over the head. And that's what he's doing there. It's madness. She would be VP. She wouldn't have any power. Maybe Tucker Carlson doesn't have any more faith 
in the structural integrity of Donald Trump's heart than I do. And he's worried that Nikki Haley would step over his collapsed body to the presidency. But other than that, I don't think there's reason for him to freak out the way he is. Nikki Haley would give Tucker Carlson every one of the economic policies that he wants. The only thing that he actually cares to get from Donald Trump politically. Anyway, we unfortunately do have to take our second break. We're gonna try to catch up a little bit on the other side of this. Two important stories to talk about. There's no time to waste. Hit the like button. Let's jump into it. Biden's deliberate inaction has left Texas to fend for itself. The authors of the United States Constitution foresaw a situation when the federal government would be inattentive to states that faced challenges at their borders. I will sign three laws today to better protect Texas and America from Biden's border neglect. So that is Greg Abbott attempting to set up a conflict between Texas and the federal government, perhaps mitigated or you know managed by the Supreme Court. He's passing this law that effectively allows Texas law enforcement officials to arrest migrants who enter the state without legal authorization. That is almost certainly going to lead to the Supreme Court having to weigh in on how power is distributed in the topic of immigration between the federal government and the states. They had previously done this back in 2012 in Arizona v United States and argued, I think consistent with prior law that the federal government is principally the one with power. Over immigration enforcement, he doesn't want that, or at the very least, he wants to seem to conservatives in Texas that he's being strong on the topic. But also in arguing for his law, my God, the lies there. That that he's been forced, his arm is being twisted by Biden not doing anything on the border. Biden has largely kept Trump era immigration laws in effect for years. Through the through the first the first term of his presidency, and they continue to pretend that despite the fact that the same policies have been in power, that he's not doing anything. And so we've gotten to this point where now you're going to have SB4, where crossing into Texas illegally from Mexico would be treated as a misdemeanor, punishable by up to 100 days in jail, 180 days, and a fine of up to two thousand dollars. If you go if illegal entry into Texas, it would be a felony offense. With perhaps between two and 20 years in jail, depending on whether that previously happened or if you'd been convicted of certain crimes. Now, you might think that every conservative in Texas loves this. That is not necessarily the case. There are major concerns, especially near the border from sheriffs saying, expecting us, obligating us to do this, to round up people, ask for their papers, throw them in jail. That's not tenable. We don't have the facilities or the funding for that. But that's what you get when a governor like Abbott just does this thing as largely a political stunt to make himself look cool and anti-immigrant. It could end up really screwing over a lot of communities in Texas. Yaz, what say you about the state of your state? I hate it. You know, Abbott wants to seem strong in the eyes of Texas conservatives, right? That's what you said, I think. And to some degree, it's working, particularly amongst the Texas conservatives who don't live right by the border, who are not actually seeing any kind of immigration activity. They're just living their lives in their subdivisions, right? There is a very strong effort in Texas to demonize all kinds of migrants or immigrants, things like that, which is crazy because we have such a diverse population here already. 
And they're pretty well integrated within the communities, especially in the larger cities, right? So it's weird to me whenever Texas conservatives specifically are so anti-immigrant. And they're also, there's a lot of overlap between them and like the very, very Christian people, but they have no problem with all the inhumanity that's going on at the border. They don't see any problem with that because, you know, you got to protect the border from the deep state. Like these are things that Texas conservatives have actually said to me. So I'm not just like talking out of, out of nothing. I'm not speculating here. These are the things that they believe. They watch Fox News every day. So they just think that this is a much bigger problem than it maybe is. But to that point, you know, maybe if there is an issue with immigration at the border, then address it, right? But the way, you know, shooting immigrants is not the best. What, like, why is that ever the suggestion? Uh, yeah. Why is that ever the solution to a problem that you may or may not actually have? If there is an issue with too many migrants at the border, then deal with it in a way that doesn't require you to just shoot people. Yeah, shoot, shoot people like DeSantis wants, or in the mm -hmm. in the case of Abbott, this looks very much like Arizona. Uh, yeah. You're gonna be you're gonna be having racist, ambitious sheriffs asking for people's papers. That's effectively what you're gonna have. Uh, so Texas uh, takes one step further into dystopia. Very very nice to see. Okay, with that said, we don't have much time, but let's jump uh, with the time that we have into this. Your initial allegations, you still believe them to be true? Uh, yeah, well, of course they'll sue me again for it when I say that. But yeah, I do. But they want me—they want me to lie. They, they basically—they are suing me in order to lie to them. I'm sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> the, if if I showed you the evidence right now, and I think you've played it on your air, people would see that what I said was absolutely true. Rudy Giuliani, for once in his life, was right about something. When he predicted that if he continues to lie about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, they would sue him again. Because he lied about them and they're suing him again. Fresh off of you know the $140 million in damages verdict against Rudy Giuliani, those two Georgia election workers who he spread these racist conspiracy theories about in the wake of the 2020 election are suing him again. The new suit asked for a court injunction that would prohibit Giuliani from continuing to make his election related allegations against Freeman and Moss, who are mother and daughter. It doesn't explicitly seek monetary damages, although it looks like it might try to accrue enough money to pay for the legal process that this would entail. And honestly, this seems pretty reasonable to me. If a guy's lies about these two women are so horrendous that it merits nearly $150 million in damages, why can he simply go out and say them again? If they're that damaging, why was that not a part of the initial judgment? I'm confused about that. Admittedly, I'm not a lawyer, but I hope they're successful in this case because the last thing they need is to spend the rest of their life with him going on, you know, second and third rate right wing news stations to continue to lie about them. Yes, what do you think? I think with Rudy Giuliani, any of the things that he does to me is very perplexing because it's like, why is he doing any of it? Why is he doing literally any of the things he's doing? The only things that will possibly come to him are bad things, right? He already has to pay, as he said, nearly $150 million to these people who he has defamed repeatedly publicly. And he already was found guilty of lying about them and spreading lies and using them as pawns in his big, you know, election fraud propaganda campaign. And you know, I don't understand why he keeps saying the things. I don't know what good he thinks will come from it. I don't know if it's like a bigger PR campaign. I don't know if he's like trying to support Trump with this. I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't just go home and, <laughs> and just stay home. Yeah, stay home, try to create some sort of relationship with the family that has rejected you understandably. 
yeah, you don't have that many more years left in your life. This is such a weird hill to literally die on. Anyway, that is all the time we have for the first hour of The Damage War. Thank you to everybody who's been watching and listening. But if you're watching live on YouTube and Twitch, there is more to come in the aftermath. So don't go anywhere. Yaz and I will be back after this.